0: Well, today we are going to continue our series called The Four Challenges of Christ. And um, in doing this series, one of, the things, um, one of the things we want to do is each week, each challenge builds on itself, right? And so I believe that Christ, if you follow along in the Gospels, you'll see that Christ always is challenging people. If we live a life without challenge, we're going to live a very weak life, right? Right? You've got to have challenge. There's got to be resistance. There's got to be something that motivates and pushes you. And so Jesus understood that. And so Jesus was always challenging his disciples. And so I want to read today out of Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And, um, and we'll come back to this later. But just real simple. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi, also known as Matthew, for those of you that don't know, um, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him, right? So here's the thing. The word, the term follow me is used 22 times in the Gospels. In the four Gospels, follow me is used 22 times. But here's the problem. Following God, following Christ is not always easy. Sometimes it's difficult. And we're going to talk about that today. As a matter of fact, last week, last week we said that the first challenge, and I don't know if you guys will be able to see this or not, but the first challenge was come what? Does anybody remember? And see. Yes. Come and see. So obviously today is going to be what? Whoa. Follow me. Man, you guys are so smart. You're really good at this. <laughs> anybody know what the next week is going to be? Anybody want to guess? Whoops. If you're here early, you'll see it on the screen every Sunday. It's called Fishers of Men. Yes. And we'll pause right there for just a second. So the idea is this. We've got, we're going to just stop at three challenges. I know there's a fourth one. Some of you guys that your OCD is working right now, you're like, why isn't he putting the fourth one up there? He needs to finish it out. Three is not good. We need four. We need two and two. We can't go with one, two. Um, That doesn't work. Um, But I'm going to leave it off just to mess with you right now. So come and see, follow me, fishers of men. Now we're going to get into all of these things uh, talking about next week. But come and see, we said last week was all about experiencing God. It was all about experiencing church, experiencing Christ. And, and one of the verses we used last week was the verse, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? Y'all remember that? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, this week, we're getting into follow me. Um, follow me is a little bit different. Follow me is all about consume. Last week was about taste. Today's about consume. Last week was about experience or observe. This week is about diving in. And then fishers of men. Fishers of men, I'll go ahead and preach a little bit of that message for you. Fishers of men is all about, Jesus looked at James, uh, I mean, he looked at Peter, James, John, Andrew, and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Notice something, when he calls Matthew, did you notice that he didn't say, I'll make you a fisher of men? Why? Because Matthew's a tax collector, he doesn't know anything about fishing. He works with his brain, he works with his, with, with his pen, with his calculator, with his computer. He doesn't fish. So when Jesus calls you to follow him, then he wants to use what you already got in you, what your talents and abilities and giftings that he's already put on you, he wants to use those things to minister to other people. Right? So that's what fishers of men is all about. Notice this. God never called me to lead worship. You know Why? I can't sing to save my life. Like some of you. I hear you, right? And some of you do sing great. Some of you sing awesome. I'm just I'm messing around. God did not call me to lead worship. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I remember being in fifth grade and they took us into the music room and they gave everybody guitars and they said, we're going to teach you guitar today. And I couldn't make my right hand and left hand work at the same time. Like it just didn't, it didn't work. And they say, well, this is the an A and this is a B And see, I don't know the chords. I don't know the notes or the numbers or the letters. I don't know. I don't even know what any of that stuff means. Sometimes we'll sit in the office and we'll be talking about the worship set. And, and I'll be sitting across from Jonathan and I'll say, John, now, you know, right off the bat, I have no idea if you did good or bad today. But I do know this, that one person's on a terrible, no. Um, so, so we, I don't know anything about music. So God didn't call me into something where I have zero ability, talent, or giftings. But now coming up, I knew how to talk. I mean, I could talk. My parents said whenever I was a little kid, whenever I was first born, I didn't talk at all. Believe that, right? Isn't that crazy? When I was first born, I didn't talk. Um, but then they said I didn't talk really until I was probably like three years old. And they said when I started talking, I was talking in full sentences. Like, like It's like I just held it all in as long as I could. And then all of a sudden, I just exploded with words. And so... So God called me into an area where I already had some kind of gift, talent, or ability. So that's what we're talking about next week. But here's the problem that I want to share with you this morning before we get started. And this is why I have the whiteboard. Because I feel like as the church, as a representative of the, of the Christian church in America, I feel like we've done a disservice to people. Here's what I mean. The Christian church in America is very good about come and see. We're very good about this. We want to help you come and see. And we'll tell you things like, you come on into church. There's no pressure. We're not going to come see you. We're not going to mess with you. We're not going to call you out. There's going to be no pressure. You come sit in the back. And all you guys sitting in the back are like, he's preaching at me. You come sit in the back and it's okay. You don't have to get involved. You don't have to get plugged in. Just sit in the back and just observe. Just watch. Just chill. Just hang out. And so that's why we have a lot of churches right now that are full of people that sit in the back theoretically they may not be sitting in the back but they just go to church they watch they leave their life is never transformed or changed the problem with that is everybody that i see that follows christ in the bible has transformation happen in their life so if we see it in the bible but we don't see it in the church there's a disconnect somewhere there's a problem and an issue so the church is very good at doing come and see the church is very good about making people fishers of men. We're all about, let me get your gifts test. Let me get your, uh, figure out what your talents are. Let me plug you into doing something. So you can come in, you can sit in the back, you can do nothing, but my next goal is to get you to do something. And if I can just get you to do something, then maybe, maybe God will do something in your life. I don't know. But what we've done is we've got a whole churches full of people again, ...that came to see... ...they experienced a little bit... ...and then a pastor... ...got them plugged into doing stuff... ...even though they skipped this step right here. They're not following anybody. They're not following anybody. And if they are following God... ...if they are following Christ... ...they're following on the the most basic level... ...that you can follow without any kind of life change. Now... You're you're probably sitting there thinking, you're painting a broad, you know, broad picture here. And I am. I get it. I'm just telling you as a church, this is what we this is what we do in America. No, in other countries it's not like this necessarily, but in America we want to cater to people. We want everybody to feel good. We don't want anybody's feelings to be hurt, so we just say you come in and don't do anything, you just sit. Until you get comfortable, and when you get comfortable, then we're gonna put you to work. And we're gonna throw you in the nursery. Until you quit church altogether, right? It's so funny. I talk to our nursery workers and our leaders. And, um, and they say, Gabriel, we need to find some more people. We need to, you know, we're adding a new classroom. We've got to have more people to help us out with the kids. And, and I feel like, oh, man, what, we must be doing something wrong. Because we've got, you know, these nursery workers are running ragged. And, and then all of a sudden, I, I talk to people from other churches. in every big church in town, you know what they tell me? We don't have enough nursery workers. I talked to one lady the other day. She said, I don't know the last time I was in church with my husband because I work the nursery every Sunday. And she said, and I'm not even one of the nursery workers. She said, I just show up and drop off off my kid. And they say, you got to stay. I said, it might be your kid is the problem. They don't want to deal with that devil you're raising. We don't have any of those here. Um, I mean, we like one or two, but that's it. So, uh, so today what we want to talk about is the idea that following Christ isn't easy. And we want, in, in American church, we want everything to be easy. But I'm telling you right now, to do step number two, it's not easy. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said it wasn't easy. Check this out. If you look, um, first of all, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. We read this last week. I'll read it again this week. It says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Following Christ isn't always easy. Why? Because in order to follow Christ, you've got to live like Jesus lived. And then another reason it's not easy, Jesus said this. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, and 14, he said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the what gate? The narrow gate. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but narrow means... Narrow, right? It means thin. It means small. It means not everybody's getting through. Have you ever been in a room before when everybody's trying to get out of the room at the same time, but there's only one door, right? And you're smashing into each other and you're trying to get in or out. Have you ever been to a football game, right? And everybody's trying to leave at the same time. whenever there's a narrow entrance or narrow exit, it's very difficult to get through. Jesus says you can only get into God's kingdom through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and the gate is wide, for many choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Jesus himself said, in order to follow me, it's not always going to be easy. There's going to be a lot of people following the wrong direction, but following me is not always easy. And then in in Luke chapter 9, verse 22 through 24... It says this, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. Take note here, okay? I want you to pay attention because we're going to get down to verse um, 23 and 24 and you're going to be like, oh yeah, I know that verse. I've quoted that verse, but you've got to look at the verse before it. 22 makes the rest of it make sense. The Son of Man, talking about Jesus, must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he'll be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd... If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. In other words, he's, he just gets through saying all the terrible things that are going to happen to him. And he says, if you want to be my follower, you've got to do the same stuff as me. And they're sitting there thinking, wait, you just said bad things, right? It'd be like me telling you guys, hey guys, I'm going to go out today and I'm going to have a car accident. And after that car accident, I'm going to get out, I'm going to be limping down the road, and then a truck's going to hit me. And I'm going to get up from that truck hitting me, don't worry. But then I'm going to get to the Mexican restaurant, and I'm going to try to eat. And when I do, my credit card's going to get declined. And if any of you wants to be a good Christian, just do all the same stuff I do today. <laughs> Nobody would take it. Like, would, the altar car would be empty, right? No, everybody would leave the church. We're like, this dude's crazy. And that's what Jesus said. If you want to follow me, you must take up your cross daily. you got to die every day and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Another verse says this, in order to follow Christ, he says, he says, if you love me, right? If you're going to follow me, you got to obey me. So in order to follow Christ, we got to obey him. We got to die. We got to obey. These are a lot of hard things. The last one I want to share is this out of John chapter six. Now I'm not going to put, hold on, don't put that up there yet. Sorry. Sorry, Lexi. I just threw a curveball at you. But in John chapter 6, verses 47 through uh, 58, I'm not going to read all of this because it's a very long passage. But go back and read it later. 47 through, 40, uh, through 58. In this passage, Jesus starts talking about himself as the bread of life. Right? He starts saying, I am the bread of life. And, and the people start like freaking out a little bit. All of his people start freaking out a little bit. And they're like, what are you saying? Are you saying we got to eat you? Like we got to eat your flesh? And, and then Jesus, being a little bit smart aleck, expounds on the, um, he's not really smart aleck, but he expounds on the illustration. And he says, yeah, if you want life, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then he says, you have to feed on me. The idea meaning um, that, they, that in order to follow Christ, you have to consume his life. you got to, you got to dive into the relationship with him. In other words, if he was a piece of bread, if he's the bread of life, then it's not just a, a bread that you look at. It's not bread that you hold. It's not bread that you throw around. It's bread that you eat. In order to satisfy your hunger, you got to eat the bread. Does that make sense? And so these people don't understand. And Jesus is trying to explain it to them. He's like, listen, I'm bread that you have to fully consume in order to get what I have for you. And the people didn't get it. They didn't understand. So in John 6, 60, now we can put that up there. The Bible says this, many of his disciples, notice that it doesn't say randos in the crowd. Many of his disciples, people that were following him said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? By the time we get down to verse 66, it says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Let me tell you something. In order for us to accept the challenges that God has for us. This one isn't super hard. This one is difficult. Now I know you want me to preach a message that says following Christ is easy. I know you want me to preach a message that says all you got to do is raise your hand and pray the magic prayer. And everything's going to be hunky dory and it's going to be great for you the rest of your life. But I'm telling you right now Jesus says it's not easy. And if he says it's not easy we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention. I know we always use gym illustrations because most of us all work out together. But I was at the gym the other day and I was coaching and someone said, this is hard. And I said, yeah, it's supposed to be hard. You're at the gym. You're working out, right? It's not supposed to be easy. If it was easy, you wouldn't grow. And so we need to understand the same thing as with our, our walk with Christ. So how is it that I start following him? How can I make that decision to accept the challenge of following Christ? I'm glad you asked because there's a couple of steps. In John 3, 3, Jesus says this. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So we have to be born again in order to follow him. What does it mean? What does it mean for me to follow Christ? Here's what it means. It means I have to be born again. Jesus doesn't say saved, the Bible doesn't say that we're saved, it says we are born again, right? It says we're born again. And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches his first message ever, and in his message he explains what it means to be born again, and that's where the meat of this message is going to be today, and here's what Peter says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah, Peter's words pierced them to the heart, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let me just show you quickly, what does it mean to be born again, and then we're going to go through all of these. According to what Peter says, right? Peter says, number one, you have to believe. Number two... You have to repent. Number three, you have to be baptized. And number four, you have to receive. Receive what? Receive the Holy Spirit. All right. I want to throw those up there because I want us to talk about those real quick. So the first part is this. The first thing Peter says is you've got to believe. In Acts two thirty-six, he says, Let everyone in Israel know for certain. In order for me to believe something, it means I know for certain, right? I know for certain. My father-in-law was just visiting with us uh, the other day, and and I don't know anybody that believes harder than my father-in-law. Not about God, but about anything he says. (laughs) My father-in-law will tell you stuff, and he knows for certain, even though I know it's wrong. He knows for certain, right? And so he will argue with you about anything because he knows for certain. To believe something means to know for certain. Peter, what are we supposed to know for certain? We need to know for certain that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. In other words, he's who I have to follow. He's my Lord. I submit my life to him. He is also my Messiah. What does that mean? He's the one that saves me from my sins. I can't save myself from my sins. I can't just be good and get over my sins. I can't get to heaven because of all of my works. I can only get to heaven because he is the ultimate sacrifice for my sins. And so I got to know, I got to believe in what, in what that means. As a matter of fact, in Romans, um, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Here's the problem with some of these verses is here's what we've done again in the American church is we've made this very easy and we start watering down the rest of it right because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings so we say all you have to do is believe if you just believe if you just believe one time when you're 12 years old and you pray the prayer and you raise your hand and you shake the preacher's hand and you fill out the card all of a sudden from that moment forward your life is transformed and you'll never be the same and everything's going to be good and everything's gonna be holy and it's gonna be great if you just believe so what's the problem with that? The problem is when we don't understand what we're saying. The word believe, when Jesus says that, that um, he that believes, the word believe there means this, to go on believing. If you look at the literal translation, um, I was reading today different translations, and one of the translations, the, the Berean literal translation, actually says, he who is believing. In other words, in order to believe, in order to have faith, it is an ongoing belief the, the word faith in the bible in the new testament often means faithful or fidelity it is ongoing i can't get married to my wife put the ring on my finger in the ceremony and then walk away from her and go do whatever with anybody i want right why Because I have chosen to be faithful to her. It is an ongoing covenant. It wasn't that I just got married that one day. It is that it is ongoing. Belief in Christ is ongoing. It's not something I did when I was 12. It's something I'm doing every single day of my life. When I say I've got faith in Christ, I am faithful to him every single day of my life. Do you ever fail? Do you ever mess up? Do you ever sin? Sure, there are moments whenever I sin. There are times, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm constantly changing course, getting back on track to stay faithful to Christ every day. So what we do is we tell people we try to make it so easy. Let me tell you something. Believing in Iran versus believing in America is very different. We try to make this part easy, but if you believe in Iran, if you follow Romans chapter 10, everybody in Trustful, everybody in Alabama, everybody in the South believes. Right? Everybody believes. We all go to church, we all are Christians, but the problem is we don't live like it. And so if you go to Iran and you say you believe, if you openly declare like Romans 10 says, then guess what they do? They cut your head off. It's a whole nother ballgame over there. Here we all believe. There, it's actually a difficult thing. But here we've made life so easy for us that we can all believe it's all easy. And that brings us to the second part. Again, I think it's interesting. So I said this. I said the Christian church today, the American church... We make this part really easy. We like that. Come and see. Just observe. Sit in the back. Watch what's happening. Then get plugged in. Do some ministry. Sit in the nursery. Be on the praise team, right? Like we tell people these two things. We kind of skip over this one a little bit. When we do say this one, we just say, just believe. And it's interesting to me here on this list of what does it mean to be born again? We're very quick to say, well, just believe. And then get water baptized. How many times have you seen pictures on Facebook of people getting baptized but then whenever you go to work with that person, their life is exactly the same as it was the day before. I'm there. I mean, I've done it before. I know what it is. And as a church, what we do is we try to do believe and water baptized because they're easy. But we don't want to say anything about repentance because repentance means that one of us, somebody has to change something. And I don't want to hurt your feelings because you come to my church. And guess what? The only reason I get paid is because you pay tithe. And so if I keep you happy and keep you giving, then I get to live my lifestyle. That's the problem with the Christian church. We can't allow that to happen here. We've got to understand that repent is huge. Repent is huge. This is highly important. So what does it mean to repent? Peter said this. He said you must repent of your can we put that back up do we have it up there yeah yeah yeah. repent of your what say it one more time did he say repent of your sin sins plural now that can mean one of two things it could either mean that the people he's talking to are just full of sin right like they got lots of sins or it could mean that he's being very specific That when I repent, I don't repent of being a sinner. Yeah, no joke, we're all sinners. I repent of a specific sin. If I were to go to the doctor, and the doctor were to say, Well, Mr. Wright, we've done all the tests, we've done all your blood work, and here's what we've concluded. We've concluded that something is wrong with you. Right? And then he walks out of the room. I'm like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. I need to know what's wrong with me. Well, Mr. Wright, something's wrong, and you're going to die. Okay, that's great. I need to know when am I going to die? What's wrong? Can we do treatment? Is there anything specific that you can tell me? When I go to the doctor, I want the doctor to say, I don't want him to say you've got cancer. I want the doctor to say, you've got cancer. You don't just have cancer. You've got this specific kind of cancer. And this is exactly where it's located on your body. And this is exactly how long you have to live. And these are the exact things we can do. I want someone to be specific with me when it comes to my health. Amen? Cancer is probably a horrible choice of an illustration, but it's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head. Whenever we, whenever we repent, we've got to repent of specifics. I was preaching at a church one time, and, and not here, and as I was preaching at this church, I was talking about the idea of repenting for sins and um, using some of the same, not the same sermon, but the same thought, and, and whenever I got done, I said, if you, need, if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to pray with somebody today, I'm coming down, and I said, I will pray with you, and I said, and I don't know anybody here, so whatever you tell me, like it stays with me, like because I don't know anybody to tell anybody anything anyway. And so I walk down to the front, and this this young guy, like maybe a uh, you know sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year old kid, he comes down to the front and um, and he says, uh, I, I just I got some some sins in my life, and I just can't seem to get over them, and I just I just keep I'm just stuck in the same same thing over and over. And I said, All right, man, well let's like what is it? Like let's pray about, it. let's get it over with, let's deal with it right here. He goes, Well, it's just. I just have, I'm just a sinner. I said, no, 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 I get it. I know you're a sinner. Like, we're all sinners. What is it? Like, what can we deal with to help you? How can I pray with you specifically? Well, just just pray for my sin. And I said, buddy, I'm going to pray for you. But here's the problem. You will stay in that sin until you're willing to deal with it specifically. I said, it'll always be a problem for you. And I said, so I'm, I'm going to pray that you have the courage to talk to somebody about your specific sin. I'm not going to pray that you get over it because it ain't going to happen. The Bible says this in John, 1 John 1, 1.9. If we confess to God, then he forgives us of our sins. But in James 5.16, it says if we confess to each other, we find healing for our sins. My suggestion to you today is to learn to confess to someone. Make confession a lifestyle. Don't make it a one-time thing. Find someone that will keep you accountable, somebody that will love you, somebody that will see your blind spots, somebody that you can go to and say, hey, here's everything in my life, I'm going to lay it all out for you, you help me get over it. As preachers, preachers are the worst about this, and that's why you see so many preachers fall to all kinds of different sins, embezzling and sexual sins, why? Because we feel like there's no one we can talk to because no one understands, because I still got to get up and preach no matter what happened on Thursday, right? So as a pastor, I've got people in my life that I have to be completely open and honest with. I have to tell them everything. It's important for me to be able to confess on a regular basis. It's a good thing for me. Why? Because I know God will forgive me, but I need healing. I need to get over it. I don't need to stay in it. The other thing about repentance is, not only does repentance require confession, but repentance requires change. In Matthew 3, 8, uh john the baptist said prove the way you live prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turn to god in other words there is a fruit of repentance when i repent there should be something different about me in that area right if i've got a sin if i've got a specific sin that i confess to my brother and i say hey here's my specific sin pray with me about this let's get over this then there should be some fruit of that repentance there should be some kind of change what i don't want to see is i don't want to see all the pictures of you getting baptized in water and then the next picture you post is you getting you know trash on a friday night where where's the change what was the point all you did was get in a tub with another man and that's weird Don't do it if you don't mean it, right? Like, let's have some life change. I'm not saying you got to be perfect. I'm not saying the minute your head pops up out of the water, then you're a holy angel of God. What I am saying, though, is there should be growth. There should be movement. There should be something like the Bible says, we grow from glory and glory until we get to the image of Christ. I may not be in His image right now, but at least I'm moving closer towards Him. How? Through Repentance. Through repentance. Then the other thing about repentance that it requires us to continue—it's got to become a lifestyle. We were talking in a staff meeting the other day, and I was talking about this. I was talking about this to the staff, and and um, and, and one of the things that came up was is I don't think people. Someone asked me this question. And they said, "I don't think people understand repentance. Can you explain repentance? Because we're so used to, we're so used to the thought of repentance being from. See, there's some churches. Some churches focus on belief. There are some churches that only focus on repentance. Right? They get their Bible out and they thump that Bible and they're telling you you're all going to hell. You're all a bunch of devils. And, and right. And so so some And so our mindset when I say repent, sometimes that's what we think. That's what we think. But you need to understand what is repentance. Repentance just literally means. And Paul, I mean Peter says it here. It means to change your mind about something. So I changed my mind. I thought this was okay. I thought this was good for me, but now I'm going to change my mind. This is no longer good because it is revealed to me that now this is probably sin. So I'm going to turn away. And where do I go? I pursue God. I pursue what God has for me, right? So that's all repentance is. So if you're scared of the word repentance today, all it literally means is to change your mind and go after God. You can use repentance in your family, in your marriage. Listen, if more marriages use the term repentance, they would probably have a much better life. My wife and I have conversations sometimes that are not always easy. And I can say this because she's not in here today. She's in kids. I can say whatever I want today. I can get away with it. Except some of you jokers go tell on me. So one of the things my wife and I do is we'll have these conversations. And in those conversations, one of the things she says is, is she says, I'm tired of having the same conversation over and over. And I know what that means. It means, Gabriel, you keep doing the same thing over and over, right? So you need to learn how to repent. And I'll tell her. The other day we had this conversation, and, and I said, okay, I repent. I want to change. I see, I understand that what this is is not the way we want to go. This is the way we want to go, and I want to make that change. Then I showed the fruit of repentance uh, by going out and doing. So one of the things she's real big on is let's do a devotional. And I'm not good. Like, I preach for a living. I don't want to preach at home too, right? And so I think, I just don't even think in that realm. And so the other day, I was like, okay, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show fruit of repentance. So I went out and I bought a devotional. Like, I, I looked up devotionals on YouTube. I did whatever I could to say I'm going to show fruit of repentance. And then I actually used the devotionals. Everybody can buy them. It's about using them. I learned that lesson the hard way too. Psalm fifty-one seventeen. This is as after David, King David, has slept with another man's wife got her pregnant first of all super creepy he's peeping on her from the top of his roof he's watching her take a bath then sleeps with her gets her pregnant and then murders her husband terrible story none of you have done that in here today i hope but i want you to notice something david repents his life has changed Psalm 51, if you ever read all of Psalm 51, that's his prayer of repentance. Here's what he says in verse 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. To have a repentant heart means that my heart is always repentant. It's not a one-time repentance. It's an everyday repentance. So when I go to God in the mornings, when I was down here during worship today, one of the things I was doing, I had my hands up because John's singing a song about surrender or Becca's singing a song about somebody singing about surrender. And I, I raised my hands and I said, God, I surrender everything I have to you. I give you everything I've got. And if there's something in me today that's not right, then I want to change. I want to repent. I don't want to stay the same. I want this to be a continual part of my life. The more I do it, the better I'm going to be at it. Think about driving. This morning we were at the house, and now our, our house looks like a car lot because now my son's driving, so it's an extra car. And, and so, so there's a car in the driveway, and, and Gabriel's trying to back out. And right off the bat, I said, Gabriel, just listen, make sure you don't hit the car in the driveway. Like, there's plenty of room. You shouldn't have to do a lot. Just don't hit the car in the driveway. Shouldn't have said that. Should have left it alone. But I did. I said it. I put pressure on him. And what did G two do? As soon as he cranks up the car, he starts cutting the wheel. Does he cut the wheel a little bit? No, my man cuts it all the way. So we take off, and when we take off, it's up on the curb. And I'm like, bro, you're gonna hit the wall of the house. You gotta adjust. You gotta make some correction. So he cuts it all the way the other way, and now we're headed straight for that other car. And I said, dude, you're gonna hit the car. You gotta just a, a little adjustments, just little adjustments. We finally made out. Said, now listen. After we started getting out, we got past the car. I said, no, listen, I'm going to go ahead and warn you. You're driving through our neighbor's yard, and you're going to fall off the curb. Like, that's going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. He's like, okay, Dad. Boom, boom, boom. We hit the curb, right? When you're driving, it's not about, can I turn the wheel the whole way all the time? You have to learn what? You have to learn to make adjustments, little adjustments. When you're driving down the interstate, you just make little adjustments. I went, to the, I went to the therapist about my shoulder, and one of the things she said is, driving is one of the worst things for your particular injury. I said, why? She said, because you're constantly doing this. It's the little things that will hurt you sometimes. Now, that doesn't mean I'm, that has nothing to do with you being hurt. Hurt has nothing to do with it. I just want you to know, in life, a, a heart of repentance is a heart that is constantly making little adjustments. It's a heart that says, hey, I see this is wrong. Before it gets out of hand, before G2 runs me into a wall, I'm going to make a little adjustment. I'm going to make a little adjustment. Now, the first time you repent, the first time you go to God, maybe it's big stuff. But after a while, you're going to find it just being little things. The first time you go to God, it's like some big full-blown sin you've got to deal with. But after a while, it's, God, let me just have a better attitude about that before I ever get into that. It's just little adjustments that we start to make as we learn to have a lifestyle of repentance. I've got to hurry. The third one is this. We've got to be baptized. I'm not going to stay long on this one, um, but this baptism is talking about a baptism in water. Why do we do that? We do that because it is a public display of our identification with Christ that he was dead, buried, and raised again. And it's a public display of me showing showing the whole world That the old man, the old lifestyle that I was living has been killed, has been buried under the water. And whenever it came back up, I came up brand new, right? I came up a new man. I'm not going to spend time on that. We've got lots of sermons out there. My dad preached a really good sermon a few months ago about water baptism. You can go check that out back in the summer. The last one I'm not going to spend a lot of time on because we're going to do a whole series on the Holy Spirit uh, next month. But the fourth thing that he says is you have to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this one's a tough one. This one's a tough one. And I'm going to tell you why. Because what we tell people is in church, we say, if you believe, all you got to do is just believe. Say the magic prayer, right? If you believe, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you immediately. Now, can that happen? Absolutely, it can happen. But the way I'm reading Peter, the way I'm reading the Bible says that you believe you repent, you get baptized, you receive. Now, baptism can move around a little bit. But let me tell you something. I personally, according to what I'm reading, and you can take this as Gabriel's opinion, you don't have to believe it, it doesn't bother me. I don't know that the Holy Spirit wants to live somewhere that's unrepentant. I don't know that he wants to go into a heart that's not willing to change. Because last time I checked, The Holy Spirit's all about change. He's all about transformation. He's all about power. He's all about love. And if he steps into a heart that doesn't love, I don't think he's going to like that. Here's one thing. We, We preach a lot about the Holy Spirit. We'll get into it next month. The Holy Spirit gives us power. The Bible says to be a witness. The Holy Spirit gives us fruit right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the fruits. He gives us fruits. He gives us gifts. We've got all that stuff. But here's the one thing that I want to focus on for today's message, and then we're going to close, is that the Holy Spirit shows us right and wrong. Now, this is a verse that I, I really, really like. It's in John 16, 8. I quote this a lot, right? It says this. Jesus is doing this whole thing on the Holy Spirit. But here's what he says in John 16, 8. He says, and when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So, I want to just focus on the first two things he says. He will convict us of what? Of sin, but he also convicts us of righteousness. Now, we get a, the word convict gets a bad rap because you convict people that are guilty, right? And, and then you call a guilty person a convict, right? But really, the word convict there just means convince, that's all it means. So if, if you were to go to court and you get convicted, what happened? You convince or someone's lawyer convince the judge and the jury that you were guilty. The word convict just means convince. So whenever you read it with the mindset of that word means convince. Now I can read it as the Holy Spirit will convince us of our sin. He will also convince us to do righteousness, to do right things. So the Holy Spirit, I feel like, is constantly in our life doing what as i reach over to do something i shouldn't do he's speaking to my heart saying hey don't do that don't do that put that down you know what would be better if you go over here and you tell this person you love them you know it'd be better if you go pray you know it'd be better if you hug your kid instead of you know be a smart aleck to your kid whatever the case is the other day i was at the i was at the ace hardware store and, and you guys can start coming up. I, I know the, the next thing is, is what's up. I was at Ace Hardware. When I was at Ace Hardware, I, um, I was really sore. My legs were so sore. And I, my legs were so sore, I was walking funny. As a matter of fact, remember earlier I said that you need someone that you can talk to, that you can confess to. You need someone that can be honest with you. My legs were so sore. My wife the other day said, hey, Gabriel, I know your legs are sore, but you've got to stop walking like that. She said, it looks like you're trying to hold something in. I swear, my legs were so sore. My legs were so sore, I was walking like this. And I didn't even realize it. But I'm up on my toes because like, everything hurt. Everything hurt. And, um, and, and, and then I would sit down, and I'm having to hold on to stuff to sit down and hold on to stuff to get up. She's like, you look like you're trying to hold something in. Please stop doing that around me. You need people like my wife just to be honest with you, right? She thinks she's the Holy Spirit. I was in the the Ace Hardware store, and um, i got to hurry because this is a stupid story. I was in Ace Hardware, and as I'm in Ace Hardware, my legs are so sore, and the guy that was helping me find the paint, um, he didn't have any legs. No legs. And so he's in a wheelchair, and he's behind me. And, you know, like, I always try to be friendly to people that work at stores. I try to strike up conversation. And so as I'm walking in front of this guy, I'm like this, you know, kind of walking funny. And I, I was just about to say, man, my legs are sore. And I went, man, how you doing today, buddy? You know, like, I just looked back. I was like, "And it, what was it? Holy Spirit. Like, hey, that's probably not a good thing to say. Don't be talking about your legs. This guy doesn't have any. You got to be smart. I want to read one story to you out of the book of First Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. And I, I titled this story, myself, I titled this story, Kill the Ox, Burn the Plow. So if you want to write that down as a good little reminder, kill the ox, burn the plow. This stands out to me big time. This is the story of a guy named Elijah and another guy named Elisha. God tried to make it extremely confusing for us. These two guys end up being prophets and they both end up doing a lot of the same type miracles. So for preachers, we're always confused. Was it Elijah or Elisha? But Elijah knows his time is running out. And so he's got to appoint somebody to take over for him as the prophet. And so Elijah is walking along. The Bible says he went and found Elisha, the son of Saphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. That was like his way of saying, come follow me. Like Jesus would say to you today, come follow me, right? You've been in church a long time. You've been watching from the back row, but now I'm ready. I want you to come follow me. And Jesus would call you today. This this story, Elijah just throws a cloak on him, and that represented, come follow me. Check this out, though, verse 20. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, first, let me go kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah said, go on back. But think about what I've done to you. In other words, here's what he did. He gave him the option. He said, you can go on back. You can go kiss your mama bye." But you need to think about what I've told you. Think about what I've done to you. I've put this mantle on you. I've called you to follow me. You need to think about that real hard. Because why? Why? Because it's not easy. It's not easy. Why? Because there are things that have to change in my life. There are things I have to do in my life that may not be comfortable whenever you call me. When Jesus calls you, he's saying, you need to think about this for a minute. Don't just dive in willy-nilly. Think about what I'm calling you. This is a challenge for a reason. So Elisha... The Bible says, Elijah says, "Going back, but think about what I've done to you. And Elisha, in verse 21, returned to his oxen, check this out, and slaughtered them. Then he used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. And then he passed some meat around to the townspeople and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. He killed all the oxen and burned the plow. What does that mean? It means that was his lifestyle. It wasn't bad. That was his lifestyle. And he said, I'm done with this. If I'm going to really follow Elijah, there's no backup plan for me. There's no secondary issue for me. I'm burning the plow and I'm killing all the oxen. I'm leaving everything behind. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not bringing anything with me. I'm leaving it all there. And I'm not only leaving it there, I'm leaving it there in such a state that I could never get it back again total repentance total repentance Luke chapter 5 and you can stand up with me this morning Luke chapter 5 verses 27 and 28 we started with 27 today and we said later as Jesus left the town he saw a tax collector named Levi who we already said is actually Matthew Levi's his other name sitting at his tax collector's booth follow me and be my disciple Jesus said to him Look at verse twenty-eight, though. Twenty-eight is key. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. This is easy. This is easy. This is fun. Fisherman's Men is fun. We get to do stuff, man. We get to be on the worship team. I get to greet people at the door. This is fun. This is easy. This is fun. This is hard. This is a challenge a challenge. And the only way to do this is to kill the ox and burn the plow. The only way to do that is to be like Matthew and say, I will leave everything behind to follow Jesus. So my question for you today is, for some of you, what's holding you back from really following Jesus? Not what's holding you back from coming to church. You're obviously here. Nothing held you back today. Not holding you back from From just believing in him, just just knowing that he exists, and not holding you back from that, you're, you're already doing that. But what's holding you back today from leaving everything and following him? What's the ox you need to kill today? What's the plow you need to burn today? What's the issue you might need to repent and change of today? What are the things that are holding you back? See, the challenge for you today is to come follow him. Not me. Follow him. And I believe Jesus wants each and every one of us to follow him. There's no one person in this room more special than another. We're all in the same boat, myself included. And he's calling every one of us to follow him. And listen, he's not calling us to follow him one time. He's calling us to follow him every single day. Faithful, obedient, every day. Every day. Making those course corrections. Why don't you close your eyes with me this morning and let's pray before Bobby comes up and dismisses? Lord God, we just come before you this morning understanding that we are um, not perfect. We need a Savior. We always need a Savior, God. We always need a Messiah. For some of us today, we walk into this room and we've got sins in our life and we're not really serving you at all. We're not following you at all. And what we need today is that Messiah. We need that sacrifice for our sins. We need to just believe that you died on the cross and rose again so that I could be forgiven. You were the sacrifice that was required because the Bible says that sin deserves death. You were the sacrifice required for me to be forgiven of my sins. So God, today I do say I believe. And if you don't know Christ today, if you're not... Serving Him today, if you're not following Him at all today, then this prayer is for you. You do need to come before God today, even on your own. You don't need me to to say the prayer for you. You don't need to repeat anything. You need to come to God today and you need to tell Him that you believe. You need to tell Him that you believe in His sacrifice. You believe in His love. You believe in that reckless love that looked at us even while we were still sinners and He died for us. But you know what else we need to do today? We need to repent. We need to repent. And so, God, not only do we believe today, but, God, we repent today. We repent before you that, yes, we have sins and we have individual sins, God. And as soon as we can, we're going we're to talk to somebody about those. We're going to find somebody that we can trust and we love and that loves us back and won't look down on us. And we're going to talk about the areas of our life that need to change. But today, even on your own, as you're praying, we confess those sins to you first and foremost because we want forgiveness today. We want forgiveness this morning. We want to be cleansed of our guilt and our shame. And God, we want to walk out of this place brand new creatures. So, if that's you this morning, you pray that prayer. You you pray that prayer on your own today, and you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that He is the Lord. But there's some of us that came into this room today, and we didn't need the Messiah. We didn't need salvation today. We didn't need necessarily sins forgiven. We need a Lord. We need to believe in the Lord that leads us and guides us every single day. We need the Lord that we can follow. We need the one that goes before us. And and maybe today you haven't been following him with everything that you've got. Maybe you've been holding back. And so today, God, we just repent of not following you the way that we should. We repent, God, that we've just sat back and watched you. We've tasted, but we've not consumed. We have the taste test but we didn't get the full meal. And so today, God, we're tired of the taste test and we want the full meal. We want everything you've got for us. And so today, God, we want to dive in. We want to consume all that you have. We want to give you our whole life. We want to follow you with everything that we've got. We want to kill the ox and burn the plow. We want to leave everything like Matthew did and follow you. So God, help us to walk in that obedience today. Help us to walk in that obedience today. In Jesus' name, amen.